Well, good morning. Good morning. I know you're going to find this hard to believe, but when I was a kid, I was kind of the little guy. You know, I was never the big one. I was never the, the big, strong, tough guy. I was always the little one. Uh, in fact, you guys are watching my kids grow up, and you see Elsie. That was me, you know, just that tiny little body growing up my whole life. And so because of that, I was never one that could hold my own in a fight. I mean, just let's just look at the reality of the situation. If somebody said something to me, I couldn't even reach them to, to throw a punch. I mean, I had to jump or climb up on a chair. So rather than learning to fight, I learned how to talk. And I picked my fights with my wit and my mouth. And so particularly when somebody started picking on me, I knew what to say. And, and you know how it is growing up. You've got those, those friends or those, those guys in your school that aren't the brightest crayon in the box. You know what I'm talking about here? And, and we had one of those. This guy was one of my buddies, but he liked to try to pick on me. Well, I'd make fun of him, and he wouldn't get it. Like an hour later, he'd come back and be like, that wasn't very nice. I'm like, I don't even know what I said. It's been an hour ago. I mean, but I learned how to fight with my words. And, and part of my, my, my favorite part about this was, you guys kind of know how this is. When you throw insults back and forth, usually the first insult isn't the best one. It's the comeback that's the best part of that. And um, uh, one of my favorite movie clips uh, of all time, I wanted to show it, and I realized I was going to probably have to edit too much of it, uh, is the scene from The Sandlot, you know, where the two baseball teams are just going back and forth. Uh, <clears throat> but that's, that's what I loved about insults and, and, and comebacks. And in fact, this week on social media, I, I asked the question, I said, what was your favorite comeback of your generation or that you had as a kid? And I got some really good responses on this. Here's just a few of them. Uh, first, this classic one I think every generation's used. Well, I'm rubber in your glue. Whatever you say bounces off me and sticks to you. I think every generation has used that one at some point. <clears throat> this one came from one of my Bible college professors who's in his early 60s. You get made fun of? Yeah, well, so is your old man. My generation, we don't even use the phrase old man anymore. I mean, when we say old man, we're referring to literally an old man, not to our fathers. So that's what he said. This one is for my generation, whatever. <laughs> and you have to say it with that upward inflection and with the finger quotes. It's required. It's a state law. So whatever the thing is, whatever. This one I'd never heard of before. Well, your mama wears combat boots. This must be a West Coast thing, because in the Midwest, we never heard this. Funny story, though, uh, we were talking about this, and, and Pam, who works in our office, said that her daughter Melody came home one day upset because somebody used this phrase on her. Yeah, well, your mama wears combat boots. And Pam said, I'm in the military. Of course I wear combat boots. Go tell them that. See what the response to that is. So made Melody feel a little better about it. <laughs> this was one I heard from a few people that really cracked me up. You made fun of for, for your, your weight. Well, I might be fat, but you're ugly. At least I can lose weight. <laughs> I heard that from a few people. I thought that was a pretty good one. And then, of course, from, from my generation, a kid of the late 80s, from the, the great philosopher Pee Wee Herman, I know you are, but what am I? That was always the favorite one of our, of our generation. See, growing up, I think a lot of us were taught, a lot of you all were taught like I was, that, that you can rise above what somebody says to you if you have a strong enough will and a strong enough resolve. But you can rise above that if you've got that strong enough resolve. In fact, most of you were taught this phrase that I was taught growing up. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Right. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Except that's not true. 
Words can hurt. Words do hurt. I spent several years teaching high school, and I, I, I'm come to this conclusion after spending that much time around that many just broken teenagers that the worst kind of abuse today is verbal abuse. Because, yeah, sticks and stones may break my bones. Guess what? Broken bones and bruises heal. But what's said to us sometimes never goes away. And in fact, we'd have kids and, and we'd have some teachers and coaches who'd be like, yeah, that kid, he didn't even have a lick of respect. He doesn't know uh, how, to, uh, how to treat anybody. And he'd get angry and I'd say, you know what? That kid's never even seen respect. I didn't know what that means. That word's a foreign concept because he's never had nice words said to him. All he's had is, has been told how worthless he is and, and, and how much he's just a burden. And guess what? He's going to grow up and he's going to tell other people that because that's his normal. And that's where we are. Words can be damaging and destructive, but our words can be helpful and uplifting and, and impactful if we let them. See, it boils down to this. Whatever we want to say and however we want to say it, it boils down to this simple truth. Words bring life and words bring death. Words bring life, and words bring death. We're in James chapter 3 today as we continue the series Faith Works, reading uh, the letter of James. And as we get into chapter 3, there's a change kind of in the theme. Up to this point, James has spent two chapters telling us what to do as Christians. In chapter 3, now we get into this theme of wisdom. And he's going to start telling us how to think. And the first part of that comes out in in the beginning of chapter 3 through our speech. And so James chapter 3, he starts it this way in verse 1. When he says, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Uh, He immediately, right here, jumps Uh, into this section of scripture by giving this very stern warning. If you're going to get up and teach scripture, teach in the name of the Lord, you're going to be held to a higher standard than the rest of of, of the followers of Jesus. You're going to be judged more harshly, more strictly than the rest of the followers of Jesus. This goes straight back to what he said in chapter 1, verse 19, when he said that we should all be quick to hear and slow to speak. In other words, James is saying here, if you're going to teach You have the responsibility to listen more than you talk, to learn more than you share. See, in his day and time, to be a teacher was a very high honor. Many aspired to become teachers. Very few actually got there. To be a teacher, we we read about the Pharisees and the Gospels and about their interactions with Jesus, and we get this negative look at them. But for what they were, it was a pretty awesome duty. See, they were uh, held accountable to, to memorize the Bible to memorize scripture, and they got it often verbally or orally, that they heard it. So they had to hear it so many times they could quote it verbatim. And not only could they quote it, they knew everything about every part of it. That's what was required. It would be like if you walked up to me and said, hey, I want to teach here. i say, great, here's all you got to do. Take this home and memorize it, word for word, and by the way, master the doctrine and theology that's in it too. Then you can teach. Oh, and by the way, When you start teaching, I'm going to be over your shoulder watching you like a hawk. I'm going to make sure you don't slip once. Make sure you don't mess up once, because that happened with them. Their teachers were watched so closely to make sure that they got it right, that they didn't mess up, and that they didn't lead anybody astray. And that's the warning that James is giving here. That's one of the reasons I take this job so seriously, why I spend the number of hours I do each week preparing messages. 
It's not so I can get up here and sound articulate and look good. It's because I want to make sure that I'm teaching this as close to right as I can possibly get. And I've told you guys this, I may not be right one week, but I can promise you this, it's not for lack of effort. It's because I have put in my time reading it. I'll I'll read my passage over and over, often out of different translations, and and I'll I'll pour through commentaries. I'll get online. I want to see what other people have had to say about this. I want to see how other people have taught this because I don't want to be the one way out in left field apart from everybody else. I want to make sure that I'm doing this as close to accurate and right as I can because for me, one of my biggest fears in ministry isn't that, that a, a church will fail or, or that I'll upset people. One of my biggest fears is that one of these days, several years from now, I'll realize I was wrong. And not only was I wrong, but I have taught now hundreds or thousands of people wrong, and I've led them in the wrong direction. And I'm the one that's accountable for that. That's what James is saying here. I'm the one who gets judged by that, not by other churches or other pastors or by people, but by God. See, we've seen examples of this in history. Some extreme, some not so extreme. Some intentional, some not so intentional. Here's a couple of extreme uh, cases. You you might recognize this guy. Uh, Jim Jones, back in the 60s, he became a pastor of a small Methodist church in Indiana. And he started with very good intentions. One of his passions early on was he was one of the first pastors to step out in favor of desegregating the church, which that's a pretty bad mark when we talk about that we had to desegregate the church, but he was one of the first ones that wanted to do that. But very quickly, he started getting off track because his, his mind was wrapped around the concepts of, of communism and socialism, and he was fascinated with people like Marx. And, and, and very quickly, that replaced the gospel. And if you know the story, after several years, he kind of got chased out of Indiana. He moves his church, and his people followed him to San Francisco, and then from San Francisco down into Guyana. And tragically, because he had replaced God in their lives, he had told them, if you need God, I'll be God for you. If you need a Savior, I'll be a Savior for you. He had replaced the gospel with a message of his own. And in 1978, some of you know the story here, over 900 people listened to him when he told them, hey, drink this Kool-Aid. We're going to go to sleep together. And they never woke up. 900 plus people went to their deaths because they followed his teachings. Or how about this guy? You probably don't recognize him, but you'll, you'll know about his story. This is Fred Phelps. Several years ago, Fred Phelps started a church in Topeka, Kansas called Westboro Baptist. And I use the term church here very loosely. Uh, gathering is what I'm going to refer to them as. But for years, they were pretty quiet. And in the early 90s, somehow he pulled out a scripture that he understood that now God hates the United States because the United States is, hates God. Because we've uh, started as, as a society accepting certain things, maybe out of the LGBT community or, or some of these other sinful communities, quote unquote. And, and, and so therefore, God hates the U.S. You know, everything that happens to the U.S., whether it's 9-11 or whether it's a soldier dying in battle, is God pouring out his wrath on the U.S. So his, his church, again, loose, loose quote fingers there, his church goes and pickets and protests soldiers' funerals all over the country. They'll drive everywhere. They'll, they'll be up in this neck of the woods. If there's a, a funeral for a soldier that was killed in battle, they'll be here picketing with signs that say, God hates the USA and God hates some words I'm not gonna say here from the stage. That's the message that his people follow him. Thankfully, his congregation is very small. But the hate in his heart 
has spilled out and now it has infiltrated the hearts of others. There's other examples of, of, of people too, pastors who preach a prosperity gospel that says if your faith is strong enough, then you'll be financially blessed. Or if your faith is strong enough, then you will receive healing in your life. And if you don't, then I, that's a, your faith must, must not be that strong. That's the message that's being preached and people are buying it. They're absolutely buying it and they're leading people astray. And, and the thing is, guys, James offers some harsh words here but not nearly as harsh as the words Jesus offers. Jesus offered some incredibly harsh words when you, when you really break down and look at it. Matthew 18, Jesus says this, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him, get this, to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. This is Jesus saying that. It's not just a teacher, it's not, this is our Lord Millstones were huge. They weighed tons. That's wrapped around your neck and you're thrown in the sea. There's no getting out of that. You're done. But that's what Jesus said. It's better for that to happen to you than for you to cause one of his precious followers, one of his children, to sin. Words bring life and words bring death. And for us, our responsibility is to make sure we're steering people towards life. Because you see, life, we talked about this last week, Jesus told us that we were sent in the same manner he was sent. And we said he was sent to bring life, to give life, and to give it to the full. And one of the ways we can do that, one of the best ways we can do that, is by how we say things to people. Because you see, not only do words bring life and death, but words also bring joy or pain. Words bring joy or pain. And James takes it and, and a step further and talks about the power of the tongue to do either one of these. Verse three, James says this, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide uh, their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. See, James here is stating what we know is true. Words are powerful. Words are powerful. That's why literature is such an important subject in school. Full disclosure here, I hated literature in high school. Hated it. I refused to read any book that was assigned. Uh, so Mrs. Stevens, if you're listening to this, I did not read 1984. Everything I know about it, I picked up on from class discussions from the people who actually did read it. There, I said it. <laughs> Confession over. But literature is important, why? Because words have the ability to convey things our eyes can't understand on their own. That's why a, a, a literature buff will always go watch a movie and say, yeah, well, the book was better. The reason they say that is because in the book you get descriptions, specifically on what people are thinking or what's going on in the background that maybe we just see on the big screen but we have to try and decipher on our own. We find that exactly what's going on in somebody's head or in somebody's mind or in a situation better than we could pick up on ourselves. So our words, we have to remember, are so powerful. And if we use them the right way, we can make a, such an amazingly positive impact for the kingdom. Paul tells us this in Ephesians chapter four that we should build up other people. He says this, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building up others according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. 
I've got so much respect and, and love for my friend Kevin. Kevin's a guy that I used to coach with. He's, he's kind of a mentor to me. Uh, but he, he helped coach me a few years ago. He or helped coach with me a few years ago. He, he ran our off-season program. Kevin's got this ability to, to look at a kid and know exactly what they need to hear. And, and he, he works in the schools, not so much in the role of a teacher, but kind of in the role of a counselor. And he's a magnet for these broken kids who, who don't hear positive things at home. And it, part of it would drive me crazy because I'm one of those that, that I do have compassion, but eventually my, my patience overcomes my compassion. You know, if you guys are like that too. But we'd have a kid, and I knew this was a kid that needed to hear certain things. And I'm trying to look for this kid, but I'm trying to think of the program as a whole too. And, and so eventually I'd say, Kevin, we've got to get rid of this girl. I mean, I, 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 I want to reach her, but... It's been two months already. She's not listening to a word we say, and, and now we're starting to hold the whole team back. No, give me one more week. Give me one more week with her. I'll, I'll get her. And he would, some of them, and some of them he wouldn't, and it broke his heart every time he couldn't. But here was the thing with him. He had such a love for, for people, such a love for God's people, and that's what he'd always tell me, Kurt, that's one of God's, God's children. Say, I know. <laughs> but he just, he kept at it, and he kept at it. And it, it never failed. Every year at the end of, of the season, we'd give our seniors this questionnaire for senior night, asking them th- these questions that we were going to uh, announce, kind of what they said. And we'd ask him, who's your hero? And every year without fail, half of them put KP. That's re- that what he went by, KP. And I'd ask him, I'd say, why is KP your hero? Why not me? I didn't really ask him that. But I'd say, why is KP your hero? Why? And they'd say, because he taught me something nobody else ever could. He taught me to believe in myself. And not, a, not even just the kids from broken past. He took the kids from supportive homes that had great parents, and he took them a notch further. He just had that ability. And it's one of those, I wish I had a fraction of that, because he just knows how to say things to people. And I thought about that. So I, again, I, I, same Facebook post, I asked, I said, what were some of the most positive things you heard in your life this week that have had a lasting impact? And I had a lot. Of, I picked out three. Uh, one of my, my friends, one of my friend's mom's, She's a, a mom and her grandma, now in her early 50s. Uh, but she said this. She told me when she was in high school, back in Oklahoma in the early 80s, one of her counselors came to her and said, Lisa, you have this amazing drive and this amazing uh, ability to learn, and you love science and you love math. You should go into engineering. This is the early 80s. Women weren't engineers at that point in time. It was a male-dominated area. So even somebody who had the ability, it was a very intimidating line to try and get into. But she took that, and she's a competitive person. And, and, and so she took that as a challenge, and she ran with it. And a few years later, she graduated college with a degree in mechanical design engineering. Went to work for a luxury motorhome line, designing their interiors, not just like the flowers on the wall, the entire interior of these motor coaches. These are motor coaches that, that NASCAR drivers, almost every one of them has one. Uh, celebrities have these things. That's what she was designing. I mean, she, she took that one line that a counselor told her, you've got the ability to do this, and she ran with it. Another one, one of my former students, one of my favorite students I had, uh, going into her senior year, lost her older brother in a car wreck, and uh, they were as close a brother and sister combo as I've ever seen, but lost her brother in a car wreck. And I remember thinking, man, this is going to be so, so hard for her. And she told me that somebody called her and gave her a hard challenge. 
You expect to get comfort in, in, in your grief, but the night he died, somebody called her and said, Josie, right now you have to make a decision whether you're going to stand up and make a difference in the world and make your brother proud or whether you're gonna let this put you in the ground with him. Guys, just in the, a few short years, she's made such an amazing impact because she took that and, and it changed her perspective on life and her grief turned into drive and turned into passion and now she's married, she's about to become a mom, she's a teacher. She's gonna be so amazing in life. I can't wait to see all the lives she touches. Another friend of mine I had in Bible college uh, said he came home from high school one day, had one of those bad days. You, you would come home from high school, we all have those days, so you just kind of, you want everything to go away, you kind of hate life, you know, Every, the world's falling apart. Had one of those days, came home, he said, I was angry at the world and I was deflated and defeated and I went straight to bed. Didn't talk to anybody the rest of the night. His grandma noticed and the next morning he woke up, <coughs> excuse me, woke up, his grandma had taped this note on the bathroom mirror. He said, dear one, I love you. You're my special child. Remember everything I taught you. Love eternally, your heavenly father. Words bring life and words bring joy. And what you say can have an amazing impact on the lives of other people. But our words are the overflow from our hearts. And sometimes what's in our hearts is ugly and nasty and dangerous. And that makes our tongue and our mouth and our words so hard to control. And when we do that, we can cause incredible destruction and damage around us. James goes on, starting in the, the last half of verse five, he says, how great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. You guys know about this in Oregon. Wildfires can rage from a spark. Verse six, the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. Verse eight, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. In other words, words bring death and words bring pain. And too many people have been so hurt that it's trickled on down into the rest of their lives simply by the words somebody said. Something intentional or maybe something careless. But we've been hurt. And here's the thing, guys. Hurt people hurt people. Often what you say to somebody doesn't stop there. You might say something in an emotional outburst or in a careless moment. You don't realize the collateral damage those words can have maybe until much later. Until you see how many people that person has hurt and then how many people those people have hurt. Again, I ask the same question. What are some things you've heard that have negatively impacted your life that you've carried with you for a long time? These were sent to me privately and these broke my heart. You'd be much more attractive if you'd lose 15 pounds. You'll never find a man that wants to marry you and even if you do, he'll probably cheat on you and leave you anyway. That was from a dad to a daughter. I have two little girls. I can't imagine ever thinking I would want to say that to them. I can't imagine anybody else saying that to them. And if they did, I can't imagine the anger I would have if they did. The boys only like you because you're a slut. That was one of my best friends told me that. You aren't smart enough, you aren't good enough to ever accomplish anything. Again, that was from a parent. 
This next one broke my heart. Two words, I promise. Imagine what did it take in this person's life for the words I promise to become painful. It took a string of broken promises. But take it a step further because as tragic as those are, we say things in the name of the church and in the name of Jesus and in, in, in the name of the Bible. And we kind of become a Fred Phelps or, or, or one of these who spreads hate through the word of God. People have been told things like, we don't like people like you in our church. Another one of my friends told me this, your faith wasn't strong enough to save your brother's life. Thankfully for her, she knew the difference. She knew better. But that was a spiritual mentor that told her that. Her brother who was special needs in his 60s. <laughs> or how about this one? Not even God loves you. Man, if you've ever been talked like that before, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you had to hear those words. I'm sorry that somebody had so much hate and anger in their lives that they wanted to say those things to you and you had to hear it. I wish we could push a button and people wouldn't be like that, but I'm sorry you've had to deal with that. And if you've been said or told something like that in the name of God or on behalf of the church, I want to just assure you it is 100% categorically untrue. God loves you. The church loves you. God loves you because you are his creation. He created you in his image just like he created me and all the rest of his followers. He created us all. We said last week we are his perfect workmanship. He created us on purpose for a purpose. And he loves us so much that he sent his only son to die on a cross for us. That's how much he loves you. Anybody who ever tells you otherwise is speaking the words of the devil. And as a church, we have to keep that in mind. Not only do we have this responsibility to bring life, but we have to be consistent with it. We have to keep speaking life. We can't speak death into other people. We can't speak hurt and pain. James tells us we have to be consistent. In verse nine, he says this, with our tongue, get this, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brother, these things ought not to be. <laughs> Maybe you've heard this phrase, you kiss your mother with that mouth? <laughs> now, I'll be honest here. Usually when you hear that phrase, you've just told a dirty joke, and that's usually where that phrase comes from. <laughs> Tell a dirty joke, wow, really? You kiss your grandma with that mouth? <laughs> but we could change that phrase just a little bit here. Because for me, this is one of the things I hold myself accountable with here. When I start wanting to say something negative about one of God's creations, it's not do you kiss your mother with that mouth, it's wow, do you praise your Savior with that mouth? Do you worship your God with that mouth? Kurt, do you get up here and, and preach the word of God with that mouth? Really? Is that what you want to do? You want to praise God here, but then go slander his creation and creatures over there? James uses these analogies like that's mixing salt water and fresh water. So it's like, it's like a, a fresh water spring producing salt water. That cannot happen. It's like an olive tree producing figs. It cannot happen. We have to be consistent. We have to bring life. 
See, here's kind of what it boils down to for me. Your words are an overflow of your heart. The Bible makes that clear. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And as a Christian, you are not only speaking for yourself, you're speaking on behalf of Jesus. Whether you wear a title or not, whether you have a specific role in this church or any church or not, if you're a a Christian, if you're a child of God, when you speak, people take that as a word on behalf of the church. And because of that, you have to be careful with what you say and you have to speak positive and bring life. In fact, I'll say this, it is impossible to try and fulfill the great commission unless you learn to control your tongue and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your words. It's impossible to fulfill the great commission unless you learn to control your tongue and allow the Holy Spirit to guide your words. James is giving us two clear warnings in this passage here, friends. He's telling us, not to be careless with your words and cause somebody to go down the wrong path. And he's telling you not to be intentional with your words so that you hurt and destroy and damage other people. And if he's telling you those two things, then the logical conclusion to this is he's telling you to use your words to bring life. Fulfill somebody's life in their day-to-day. And when it comes to bringing life with your words, when it comes to to somebody's uh, eternal salvation... That's what we're talking about. Your life that you bring them is eternity. It's eternity with Jesus. So here's your takeaway today. It's very simple. Use your words to intentionally build up others and to build up the kingdom. Simple. Use your words to intentionally build up others and build up the kingdom. If you teach, whether that's in a formal setting, a small group, a Bible study, whatever, if you're teaching in a formal setting, or I think this goes even further. If you're having a, a casual conversation with somebody, you say, well, I'm not a teacher, but you're having a casual conversation with a neighbor, friend, coworker, whatever, and you're talking about Jesus, you're talking about the word, you have a responsibility. You will be held accountable to God by what you say. So take that responsibility. You say, well, how do I do that? You take this word, you study it, you read it daily, you meditate on it, you pray on it daily. The only way you get to know this is by spending much more time with it than you spend giving it out. That's the only way. I give about a 30-minute sermon here. I probably spend 20 hours a week preparing for it. And that's not as much as what they actually told us to do in Bible college. They told us one hour of prep for one minute of talk. I don't quite have the time for that. (laughs) But that's how serious I take this. So you have that responsibility. If you're going to teach, focus on his word. Trust what you know, but don't assume you know it all. Remain humble in his word. Understand it's okay to tell somebody, I don't know the answer to that. Let me try to find out. That's perfectly okay to say that. I say that all the time. (laughs) Let me come back to you on that one. But number two, when you're talking to other people, Remember, that's one of God's creations. He or she is one of God's creations created in God's image just like you are. And so you're talking to or about one of God's creations. So remember that. Use your words to bring life. Pray, let the Holy Spirit guide you. Let the the word of God guide you. Our job is to bring life, not death. Words bring life, and words bring death, and our job is to bring life and to bring it to the full. Let's pray. Father, we are 
Just so thankful for the challenges that your word give us, even when they're hard, God. Because God, I fully understand there are so many times in life that I just want to let somebody hear what I have to say. And I don't care what kind of impact it's going to have. But God, I thank you that you put this amazing accountability there for us. God, that you challenge us to do the right thing. You challenge us to bring life to other people. So God, I pray that if anybody, anybody in here is like I am and needs their tongue bridled, that, that you would help us do that. And we realize the only way we can do that is by just putting more and more of you in our hearts. God, the only way we can replace the, the, the nasty, hateful, negative things in our hearts is by putting more of you there. So God, I pray that you would soften our hearts. You would open our hearts to let more of you in. And God, that we would understand everybody that's out there, whether they make us mad or, or they upset us, that's your creation and you love that person too. So God, I pray that that reminder would always be on our minds and always be on our hearts. God, I just pray you would help us as we move day to day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.